about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and, uh, of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So I'll stop there. Notice that all of the people of faith in Hebrews were commended as righteous, though they did not receive the promise. Right? So they didn't, they didn't, they didn't receive any of, the, any of the promises. And it says right there why. It says, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So it's talking about us as well as them, that he, the uh, Hebrews, the, the, the Hebrew church, the one he's writing to. <clears throat> he says, apart from us, we're going to be made, we're going to make perfect together. I think that's what the day of redemption is going to, is going to be, uh, where all of the faithful throughout all of history on the day of redemption is going to receive all the promises of redemption that's in the, uh, that's in the, that's in the Bible. <clears throat> All right, again, it's not, uh, it's not the separation here in, in verse 1 of chapter 12. It just continues. Therefore, it's a connecting word, connecting what was just said, all of the torturing and all the things that was going on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, those who had faith, even though they were burned and sold in two and thrown to the lions, yada, 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 let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or, or faint-hearted. Okay? Consider Jesus, who endured hostility, persecution, crucifixion from sinners so that you don't grow weary when you are going through persecutions and suffering and difficulties and things, okay? In your struggle against sin, have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll go further in a minute, but we'll stop there. Uh, so notice the, the argument that he's making to the writers of Hebrews is that they're not suffering bloodshed. They're being ridiculed by the Jews. They're saying, don't believe in that false religion. Come back to Judaism. Why are you leaving your faith and going over there, etc., etc., etc.? And he, the book of Hebrews is, is, t is telling the, the writer of Hebrews is telling the this Hebrew church, who is being persecuted and going back to Judaism, telling them, come back to Christianity. And one of the things that he's saying is, all the faithful people believe God, even though they were persecuted. And so you believe God, even though you might be mocked because you're a Jew that's turned Christian, uh, and realize that you haven't, uh, that you haven't uh, resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. Very important because the next verse begins to talk about the discipline of the Lord and the chastisement of the Lord. And the reason why I make that emphasis right there is because it's connected. It's connected to all of that stuff that we read, read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Persecution, sawn in two, thrown to the lines, all of those things is God's discipline and chastisement. Okay, that he allows these things to happen for the, for the purpose of holiness that, we will, uh, that, that we'll see in just a minute. So let me continue reading. Have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
it is for discipline that you have to that you have to endure god is treating you as a son but what son is there whom the father does not discipline if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have the earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time and it seemed best to them but he disciplined us for our good that we may share in his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, so notice that uh, one of the things that we're supposed to do as we're, as we're walking by faith uh, is to understand that the discipline, the chastisement, the persecutions, the mockings, the cursings, everything that we are going through has a purpose, and that is to produce holiness in us. That's what it's doing. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and call it according to his purpose. He saved us to be conformed to his image and likeness. That's what he's doing. And everything in the world is working to that end for the, uh, for the believer. Which, there's no such thing as health, wealth, prosperity gospel. God does not promise. I just read your whole passage. God does not promise you health, wealth, and prosperity. He promised you scourgings, persecution, and suffering, and discipline and chastisement because he's making you holy. Right? So when you think of discipline, don't think of punishment. He's not punishing you, he's disciplining you. Big difference. Right? If you're if I'm gonna if if you're gonna be disciplined for running, you're not gonna just go out here and you know drink a case of beer and eat some chocolate cake and then say, I'm gonna go run a 5K tomorrow. That's not gonna work. Right, you got to discipline yourself, right? You got to stop eating all the junk, stop drinking all the junk, drink what's going to help you run, get some energy drinks, go out there and run and run and run and run and go out there the next day and run and run and run. It's going to be painful for a while. It's going to hurt for a moment, but in the long run, you're going to win the 5K. You're going to win the race, right? That's the, that's the purpose. He's, he is, uh, he's, he's, he's disciplining you by making you holy. Right? He's disciplining you in righteousness. That's the purpose of the things that are happening uh, around us. So let me pray, and then we'll, uh, then we'll get started. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, some of the things that we read is, is challenging to our heart and our minds. Uh, we, we like to think that, uh, that when you bless us from, from heaven and all heavenly blessings from above, uh, Lord, that it's uh, in our mind pleasing and pleasant to the flesh and, and good to the soul and good to the mind, uh, Lord, but uh, we don't think of persecution and suffering as goodness from you and from your hand. Uh, but you are teaching sinners, hard-hearted, rebellious sinners who are self-centered uh, and want nothing else but to rule their own soul and to control their own destiny you put these things in our lives, uh, Father, to, to discipline us, uh, to cause us to not think about the flesh, to not think about the world, but think about Christ, to think about heaven, to think about eternity. And so, Lord, help us to discipline our lives, to pursue holiness, uh, to think about eternity. And do what is necessary here on this earth to achieve all that you want to achieve in and through our lives. So use your word today to challenge us and conform us into your image and likeness. To give us a holiness that is in accordance with your word. That is in accordance with, the, with, with Jesus Christ, your son. Challenge us today through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'd already already discussed the uh, connection between Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12. So we can go right into Hebrews chapter 12. And the first thing that we come to is that uh, the writer of Hebrews is telling them to run the race. 
to run the race. So we're going to think about racing tonight. And uh, one of the things about racing, if you think about a marathon or any kind of race, there's a starting line, there's an actual race, and there's a finish line. So thinking of the starting line as it pertains to Christianity, if you're going to enter the race, if you're going to be in the race, what is necessary for you is to be a child of God. To be a child of God, the Bible says that you have to repent of your sins and believe God's word. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your, for your sins. What is important for us to know here, I don't know if you've heard the theological terms, monergism and synergism. Monergism is one energy. Synergism is two energies or cooperating energies. The start of the race, salvation, justification, the beginning of the race is monergistic. It is God saving you. Sanctification, pursuing holiness, is synergistic. We're cooperating with God. It is God who is working in us and then we are working out what he has working in. We're cooperating uh, with the Lord. So when it says that we are to run the race, we are required. We are responsible to respond to what the Word of God says in doing what the Word of God says. It is in responding to what the Word of God says, doing what the Word of God says, that helps us to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. If we're going to pursue holiness, if we're going to pursue righteousness, if we're going to run the spiritual race that God has called us to run, it will require us responding to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit. It would be necessary. And the finish line, the finish line, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, We will be like Jesus, for we will see him as he is. We will be changed, we will be transformed, changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we will be made just, just like Jesus. And so from the start, receiving Jesus Christ, to the end, being conformed to his image like this fully, we're in this process or progression of sanctification. We are becoming more and more like Christ every day. And I imagine that some are growing faster than others. Some are reaching the goal better than others because they're running the race and disciplining themselves better than others. It's just like if you were running a marathon and uh, somebody else, uh, the person that you were racing, he went out there every single day and did 25 miles. And you went out there every day and you ran one mile. Well, guess who's going to win? The guy who was running 25 miles. Same thing in, uh, in, in Christianity. The one that is running the race, the one that is responding to God, the one that is using the word of God for its means. John chapter 17, verse 17, I believe it says, Jesus says, sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is true. So the means for sanctification, one of the means for the sanctification is the... Uh, is the word of God. So we want to look at the way that we need to run the race. It's the hum it's, it's a, uh, we have responsibility to run. We have the responsibility to run. We are not, we are not to be passive or complacent. We are not to let go and let God. We are not neutered from responsibilities. We are not stagnant or lifeless. We are not motionless or stationary. We are not sluggish or lethargic. We are not dull, dying, dormant, or declining. We're running. We are in the race. We are pursuing holiness. We are facing the agony of defeat. We are pushing through the pain. We are struggling through the difficulties. We are hurtling over the hurt. We are diving through the disappointments. We are resisting temptation. We are fleeing worldliness. We are disciplining ourselves as 
God disciplines us in the pursuit of righteousness. We are buffeting our bodies, making it our slave. We are fighting the good fight. We are taking up our cross in following Jesus Christ. We are dying to self. We are putting to death sin. We are moving out and up in our Christian life. We are running an uphill battle. We are pressing on toward the prize that is set before us. We are aware of our weaknesses. We are opening up our stride. We are pumping our knees. We are lifting up our arms. We are not sluggish. We are laboring in prayer. We are digging into the word of God. We are seeking and searching to apply scriptures to our lives. We are confessing our sins. We are repenting of our actions. We are believing and agreeing with God. We are uprooting bitterness. We are resisting temptation. We are keeping ourselves on track. We are seeking forgiveness. We are drawing near to God. We are seeking to live in the presence of God. And we are experiencing God's power as we are mortifying the flesh. We are aware of the saints of old. They have passed away. They have finished the race. They have passed the baton. They are now in the grandstand. And they are rooting for us even today. We, are, we, we, uh, we have considered Jesus immortal and cannot die. Holy and cannot sin. He left heaven and holiness to take on flesh, to die for our sin. He was a king, yet he became a servant. He was innocent, yet, yet accused falsely. He spoke truth, but was mocked. He was God, but was brutally attacked by man. He never suffered, but he suffered for us. He was a perfect son, yet his father forsook him. He was a righteous judge, but died an unjust and unrighteous death. He died a death worse than ours. He was humiliated, humiliated beyond our imagination. He was crucified and absorbed the wrath of God with his own body. He was treated like a sinner, so a sinner could be treated like a son. We have considered the finish line. It is appointed that every man die once and then face judgment. Our entire life will be set before his eyes. How we ran will be the means of his examination. Did we pursue holiness? Did we turn our backs on this world? Did we press on toward the upward call of God? Did we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Did we invest in the kingdom of God? Did we steward God's gifts well? Will we hear, well done, good and faithful servant? So we consider the race. We consider that we must run. We must consider the many faithful that have gone before us. We must look to Christ, who is our example. We must run the race. All right, in verse uh, first three of chapter 12, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then it goes on to say, Have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as, uh, as sons? The Bible teaches on many, on many occasions, from the greater to the lesser. From the greater to the lesser. And so, and so the argument that they're making here is that compared to our persecution, compared to the reviling in the persecution and things that are being said to us and things that are being done to us, compared to Christ, it is nothing. 
If you think about uh, Christ and his humility, I mentioned it earlier, but, uh, but he cannot die. He's immortal. He's God. He's infinite and eternal. He can't die. If he was going to die for the sins of the world, then he had to take on human flesh. And he was willing to take on human flesh. He lived in an atmosphere of holiness. I think it was Paul Washer who said that uh, the world in which we live in uh, is, is full of iniquity. We're like fish in an ocean of iniquity. We breathe it in and breathe it out every day in our lungs. There's nothing holy about the world in which we live. It's sin through and through. From the, from the evil hearts of man, as far out as you can go, it is, is sin at every level and everywhere and every place. And God lived in perfect holiness. And God the Son was willing to leave the atmosphere of perfect holiness to come down to this earth with atmosphere as nothing but sin to die on the cross for you and I. He didn't come as a, he didn't come as a king. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't born to a royal family. Uh, he was a carpenter's son. Right? He wasn't some famous guy like, uh, like uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, he was a low car, uh, carpenter's son. Nobody knew of him. Nobody thought of him. He came out of Bethlehem. A city that wasn't very important, wasn't very significant. He was, he, was a, he was a nobody from the standards in the eyes of the world. When he, uh, when, he, when he died on the cross, again, he was holy. He wasn't a sinner. He didn't have anything to do with sin, but yet it says he became sin for us. He died in our, in our place. Not only did he... Not only did he uh, not only did he die, but he died uh, perhaps one of the worst kinds of death. You think about us, you know, you're driving down the road, not paying attention, you go over the yellow line and you hit an 18-wheeler, dead. Right? You, might get, uh, you might get cancer or have some kind of a sickness. So we got morphine, we got every kind of drug under the sun to make us comfortable. We lay in a bed, we got pillows, we got nurses taking care of us. Jesus Christ had none of that. He was nailed to a cross through his hands and through his feet, and he hung there in the burning sun, being mocked, being made fun of, casting lots for his clothes, uh, humiliating him in every way possible. He died, he went into the grave, and on the third day he rose again, is now sitting at the right hand of God. And so it's always from the, from the greater to the lesser. He has done the greater, so there's no reason why that we can't do the lesser. This is the idea. If you turn over to Romans chapter 12, um, it, he, he, uh, Paul uses it, uses it there too. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and accessible to God, which is your spiritual uh, worship, service of worship. Okay, now I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, it says, I'm appealing to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, based on the mercies of God, to present your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. If it was me... I would say, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, on the sovereignty of God, on the authority of God, By, uh, because of the justice of God, because of the wrath of God. But he says on the mercies of God. Why does he use mercy? Why, wouldn't, why, do they, why, why does that urge us to present ourselves to Christ? Well, Christ left heaven, came to earth, went into the grave, and went back to the heavens for you for the forgiveness of sins. To not give you what you do deserve, do deserve, but to give you everything that you don't deserve. Mercy and grace. Right? So based on the extent to which he came down to earth for you, is there anything wrong with the Bible, with Paul, with me, to urge you to print your, present yourself to God. 
based on what Christ has done for you, it should be a, a, a natural, willing reciprocation to now just give yourself to Christ. Because you can give your whole life and whole entire person and being and body to Christ and it won't even match anywhere near the fact that the Holy Son of God gave himself entirely for you to die for your sins on the cross. And so the whole idea is if God went this far for you, why can't you go this far for him? Right? Same thing in Hebrews. Look to Christ. If he went through that much suffering for you and me, then is there anything wrong with him saying, I'm going to discipline you and I'm going to put you through some things and cause you to go through difficulties so that you will rid yourself of yourself and begin to pursue holiness? Is there, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if, if, if God in Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you and took the wrath of God upon his body, then what could God possibly allow to happen to you that will come even close to what Christ did for you. You see, see how it works? The whole argument is, God did this. Now I'm just asking you to do this. And isn't it all right for God or the word of God or the, or the preacher of God to urge you to do this since Christ did this? That's what the argument is about. Listen. Why are you whining about your difficult life when you haven't even done anything to the point of bloodshed? You haven't resisted sin. You haven't resisted your, your sinful neighbor. You haven't resisted the, the sinful government. You, you haven't been put in prison. You haven't been persecuted. You haven't been nailed on a cross. You haven't been slaughtered. You haven't, none of these things happened to you that happened to Jesus. So why are we complaining about our little issues in life when Christ did all of that for us without even whining, without even complaining, without even saying it? He silently went to the cross, willingly obeyed the Father, passively obeyed God, stayed on the cross. They mocked him. You can save everybody else. Save yourself. Come down off the cross and I'll believe you. He did come off the cross. And he rose again, and they still didn't believe him. Right? They were mocking him. He could have at any moment, at any moment, he could have stepped off the cross. At any moment. He had the, he had the ability to summon as many angels as he needed to. And he could have done it at any moment. Not to mention, he said, let there be, and there was. And I'm sure he could say, let there not be, and there wouldn't. All he had to do was say a word, and the whole universe would respond to him. So at any moment, he could have came off the cross. But he willingly stayed there. He willingly received the strokes of the whip upon his body. And Hebrews says, not Hebrews, <clears throat> Isaiah 53 says that he didn't even have a form. In other words, when he hung on the cross, you could hardly tell he was a human being because he was whipped so bad. And the flesh was hanging off so, so gruesomely. And if he, was, if, if he went that far, if he went that far for you, and we're giving out on our race to pursue holiness, right, we're, we're backing off, slowing down, slacking, rather than running and pursuing and keep going. Hebrews gives us five warnings and some of those warnings are, don't drift away, don't go apostate, consider your great salvation, keep pursuing it, keep going, don't stop. And the whole idea is, is because if you stop and you drift and you go away into apostasy, then you were never saved to begin with. And so we are to pursue, we are to run the race together and root each other on. And get people in the race and get people to keep running and don't stop until we get to the end, until we've reached the goal. Right? So it goes into the idea of, uh, of discipline. Again, remember the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is punitive. It is in, it is, it's, it's the end. 
you know, you, you, you're guilty, you got a life sentence, death row, whatever, it's the end, punished, done with. Discipline is different. You're disciplining, you're getting yourself in order. Alright? You're running a race, you're running, getting your lungs built up, getting your muscles ready so you can run. If you're lifting weights, lifting weights is a, uh, uh, if you, uh, if you want to get strong, you got to keep putting the pounds. You got to keep putting more iron on, right? You can't just lift the pole every time you go to the gym, right? You got to put some, you got to put some metal on it, right? And so, you know, you get 50 pounds and you lift that, right? You might not only be able to do three sets of five. After you're there a couple of months, you might be doing three sets of 20, right? At that point, you need to put some more weight on it, go back to three sets of five because you put another 20 pounds on each arm or something, on each end of the thing. Right? And you keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. If you don't, if you don't keep adding the weight, you're not going to keep building the muscle and get stronger. Think of that spiritually. If God don't, if God, if God doesn't keep add, adding the crisis, keep adding the circumstances, keep adding the difficulties, your faith will get weak. You won't, you won't benefit any longer, right? So, so you're lifting the weight, you get through that one thing, that one uh, situation, you come through it faithfully, right? You, you know, it might be, I don't know, uh, maybe it's a, a test, an exam at school, and you study real hard, you're studying, studying, you're stressing over, you're praying, God, please let me pass it, and you come out with an A, right? Next thing it might be, it might be something a little bit more difficult. It might be becoming a doctor and have to take all those state boards and tests and exams and everything. It's no longer one plus one equals two. Now it's something a little bit more difficult, right? right? And then it might turn into a car accident. It might lose your car. Right? It might lose your house. It might lose your, your children. It might lose your life or whatever. Right? God's, God's always saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Alright? Once we get through one, alright, why do you think it says, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials? This is James chapter 1. Alright, notice, consider it all joy. It doesn't make any sense. Why am I going to consider it joy when I'm, falling through, when I'm going through a bunch of trials? It says, consider it all joy when you fall, first thing, it's not expected. You're not getting up. I think I'm going to go through a trial today for God. That's not how it works. You wake up, all is well, and the next thing you know, you get a phone call. You got a trial, right? And it's not the same one every time because it says, consider it, all joy, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. So it's not the same trial every single time. Various trials. Consider it all joy. Why? Why do you consider it all joy? He goes on to say, knowing that God is perfecting your faith. Same thing that he's saying here. Right? He's, he's working in you the fruit of righteousness. He's working in you the fruit of righteousness. Uh, the fruit of the holiness. The outcome of the trials, hopefully, is a stronger faith and a stronger desire to keep walking with God. Because you see him faithful. Okay, it says that, uh, that you have forgotten the exhortation, exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Listen, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. When something's going on in your life, consider it the discipline of the Lord to challenge your faith and to create holiness and righteousness in your life. Every situation, no matter what it is. Cancer, God is asking you, do you trust me? Are you going to get angry? Are you going to get bitter? Are you going to get frustrated? Are you going to cuss? Are you going to blame? Are you going to, what are you going to do to get cancer? Wreck your car. Don't have insurance. 
What are you going to do? Get mad? Blame? Right? Or are you just going to trust the Lord? Are you just going to walk with Him? Are you just going to see what He's going to do in that particular situation? So don't take things lightly. Understand that God is working discipline. And if God is working discipline, what we're getting ready to get to, if God is working discipline, if you accept it as God's discipline, you believe this is God disciplining me in holiness. And so I'm going to walk through this looking what God is trying to teach me so that I could be disciplined in holiness and disciplined in righteousness. The Bible says that the reason why that is the case is because you are a legitimate child of God. Most of y'all know that uh, I adopted uh, Jordan. And one of the things that was very confusing to her is discipline. And I think God has set it up in such a way that the first two years of life, you know, you get to the terrible twos, the reason why it seems so terrible, because the first and second year, they do nothing. You just hold them and cuddle them and kiss them and love them and, you know, goo-goo with them and everything that you do to these young babies and everything. That's all you do for two years. Right? They so understand my mommy and my daddy and how much they love me. And now that you get into the terrible twos and you correct them, right, you discipline them because they're your child. You don't want them climbing up on the side of the bookshelf because you know they're going to get hurt. So the smart thing to do is discipline them so they don't get up on the top and that thing fall over on top of them. It's going to hurt them worse to climb up on the bookshelf than it is to get a whooping. And so you correct them. It seems unpleasant for a while. It may seem painful for the moment, but it's going to create what? Righteousness. It's going to create less pain because you're not going to climb up on the side of that bookshelf. Right? Jordan, we got at three, didn't adopt her until she was eight. And we didn't hold her and love her and kiss on her the way you would do an infant. Matter of fact, if I did, it would probably feel kind of weird. Because it's not kind of a normal process. So soon she came into our home, we began to discipline. And later on, she made the mistake, or she made the accusation, Dad, you don't love me. And I was like, why? She said, because you won't let me do what I want to do, and you, and you spanked me. And I said, Jordan. I said, have you ever seen me come down to your classroom when one of your fellow te- uh, classmates are misbehaving? taking them out of class and taking them to the bathroom and whooping. When we're walking through the grocery store and somebody's climbing all over the shelves and running around the carts and running up and down the aisles, you ever see me grab them and spank them in the middle of the store? No. I said, why do you think that? Because that's not my child. I discipline the children that I love because I don't want you to grow up and hurt yourself and do things that are not going to be most productive in your life. Well, the same thing with God. He knows what's going to, what is hurtful in your life. He knows the things that you shouldn't be doing. And if he just lets you do it and lets you run and lets you go, you're not his child. You're an illegitimate child. Right? So if you're doing something that you know darn well that you shouldn't do it and you get caught, you need to thank God that he stopped you and disciplined you before you just went ahead and done and got in a bunch of trouble. Because he loves you. Because he's concerned for you, right? So my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reprove you. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Then he gives an illustration or example. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time 
as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his, uh, in his holiness. I made, a, I made a add something there. Um, it, say, it says that uh, the, the, the earthly fathers discipline for, they, for, for their good. The father disciplines for our good. And uh, what, I think that, what I think he's insinuating there is that he has perfect discipline and an earthly father doesn't necessarily have perfect discipline. He doesn't have perfect discipline. An example of that would be, have you ever spanked a child, spanked your child? Not necessarily because it was a bad wrong, but it was something that embarrassed you at the particular moment. Now, maybe you were in public and they did something that embarrassed you. You punished them because of your embarrassment. In other words, you're saying the earthly father punished their child for their good, but God in heaven punishes you for your good. It's all about your good. God wants you to participate and partake of his holiness and his righteousness. Right? So when we think about Romans 8, all things are working together for our good, if we are called in accordance with his purpose, right? The reason why that is the case is because he saved us to be conformed to his image and likeness of the son, Jesus Christ. He, he didn't save us for the beginning of our salvation. He saved us for the end of our salvation. He saved us to be conformed into the image and likeness of, of Christ. He saved us to make us holy. Right? And he does that through trials and through difficulties and through discipline, teaching us, right? Um, it says about Jesus, Jesus learned obedience, uh, obedience by what he suffered. Hebrews 5, 8, I think it is. Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. Right? If Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered, how do you think you're going to learn obedience? By what you suffer. You're not greater than the teacher. You're not greater than Christ. And so if he learned obedience by what he suffered, then you might as well understand that we're going to learn obedience by the things that we suffer. Another good idea that you need to hold on to uh, is in Hebrews 12, 10, and 11, Two things there. One, discipline is for a short time, and discipline may seem painful. Right? And one of the things that we need to realize is on the scheme of things. I mean, when, you, when, when, I, when I think about heaven and what the Bible says, the, the Bible says that heaven is going to be exponentially, infinitely, incredibly better than what earth is. When he talks about hell, hell's going to be infinitely, exponentially worse than anything that you experience in heaven. So if you take all of the good things and you take all of the bad things and you separate them and you look as all of these things are a foretaste of things to come. So all of the good things that you can imagine in your mind is going to be multiplied exponentially in heaven. Goodness, we haven't experienced goodness yet. We, have, we haven't experienced goodness yet. Not at the level that heaven's going to be. Pleasure, pleasure, we haven't experienced pleasure yet. Not the way that it's going to be in heaven. All right, here, here, here's, here's a thought for you. The whole book of Hebrews is about Christ being much greater, much better, superior than everything in the Old Testament. He's a better prophet, better teacher, better king. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better priest. He's a better ark. All of those things, right? So everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus once we now have Jesus, everything in the Old Testament is done away with. Right? We don't have priests anymore because Jesus is our high priest and we're a kingdom of priests. Right? We don't have an ark. We don't make sacrifices because Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. 
Everything is much better. When it comes to marriage, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 and 32, Ephesians 5, 31 quotes Genesis chapter 2, 24. Remember what it said of old, uh, you need to leave and cleave to your spouse. And then right after that says, this is a great mystery. Leave and cleave to your wife. This is a great mystery. And then 32 says, I'm talking about Christ in the church. So one of the purposes, the highest and supreme purpose of marriage is to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. And you get over in Matthew, the Pharisees are trying to stump Matthew, uh, trying to stump Jesus. Comes to Jesus, the Old Testament. If your older brother dies, and I'm the younger brother, it's my responsibility to make, th- make sure my older brother's wife has children. And so the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and say, Okay, this guy had six brothers. So the first one died, and he took his wife. The second one died, he had to take his wife. The third one died, he had to take his wife. And all the way down to the seventh. The seventh one dies, goes to heaven. Which one of those girls are going to be whose wife when they get into marriage, get into heaven? Jesus says, haven't you read? Haven't you heard? It's not going to be marriage or given in marriage in heaven. Why? Because marriage is pointing towards the marriage of Christ in the church. When we get to heaven, we're going to be married to Christ. And it's going to be a much better marriage. It's going to be more happiness, more unity, more pleasure, more excitement, more everything than we can possibly imagine. Marriage is done away with because what the purpose of the marriage was to point to the marriage of the Lamb. We're now married to the Lamb. There's no need to marriage. There's no need for marriage any longer because we're married to Christ. We are his bride, the church. So it's going to be infinitely better. Whatever you like about your marriage, the pleasures of it, the the, the unity in it, the happiness involved with it, the goodness that's all around it, it's going to be exponentially better to be around Christ and loving him and being with him. Far beyond you can even imagine. I mean, no sin, right? We're not perfect husbands, not perfect wives, not perfect parents. But up there, we're going to have a perfect room. Right? It's going to be exponentially better. So everything here on earth that is good and wholesome is going to be exponentially better. Hell, think about everything on earth, everything that is painful. Painful physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, suicidal, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, stump toes, I don't know, uh, burning in a fire, whatever, the worst pain. Whatever little bit of pain that you've felt here and experienced here, whether it's emotional, psychological, or physical, it does not even compare to what they will experience in hell for an eternity. So the point of all that is, if God has given you and me 70, 80, 90, I think I I know a guy that was over at uh, Savannah Commons, I forget what it's called now, Uh, when I left there, lost contact. He was 104 down in Azalea land, down on uh, Skidaway Island. There's a black lady down there. Uh, 107 or 108, somewhere around there. Right? Not many people get 100 in some years. But in light of eternity, what in the world is that? I mean, it's a blink. I mean, it's, it's nothing. Right? So if God is disciplining the way that it says it's only for a short, 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 short time. Right? And it might be painful, right? But even the pain is for a short, 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 short time. Short time. I mean, even if you had to deal with something for your whole 70 years, maybe you were paralyzed and in a wheelchair all your life. Right? Even that Even that is such a short, 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 short time. 
You know, when you get to heaven and, and you get your new body and your new heart and your new mind and everything is, you're in a perfect plan of holiness. You're going to be like a woman who gave birth and you have forgotten all the pain of childbirth because now you're holding that beautiful little child in your arms. Gone through that and ready to have another one. I don't get y'all women. That's crazy, but had one and ready to have another. Heaven is going to be that exponentially. I mean, when we get there and we understand how holy holiness is, how sin, how sinful sin is, and now sin has been rushed out, the, the, the ruin of the world has been completely repaired, and we're living in perfect holiness with perfect goodness and perfect pleasures and perfect happiness, right? We're going we're gonna to forget about everything that happened on earth. That's going to that's gonna be like an old memory, an old hat. Won't even pay attention anymore. Right? So even the discipline of the Lord is for such a short time. And it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit. For righteousness and holiness and walking with him. Right? And that's the point. Verse 11 says, discipline may seem painful, but it's doing something. What is it doing? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right? If you've been trained by it, if you've been, if you're a legitimate child of God, a legitimate child of God, have received all of your problems as discipline from the Lord, and, excuse me, and you are being trained and disciplined in walking righteousness and having faith and trusting the Lord in all that he, in all that he does. I mean, I'm running out of time, but think about Joseph. Right? Joseph was hated by his other 11 children, sold into slavery, slavery lived outside of the, uh, away from his home in Egypt. Right? And at the end of his life, he said, brothers, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. When we get to heaven and we look back to earth, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look back and we're going to say, I thought all of that was evil, but God was doing a whole bunch of good through it all. Right? I thought the world was evil. I thought people were evil. I thought everybody was evil. But now I see that God had a purpose and plan for everything that happened to me. And it was to work righteousness and holiness into my life. You know what I like to do? We talk about running the race. You know what I like to do? I like to run so hard, and I want to be so disciplined that when I run past the finish line, when I die, pass from this world and into the heaven, it won't be such a shock. Huh? It won't be such a shock. I responded to the Lord. I walked with the Lord. I allowed him to work in my life. When I got to heaven, it was just a continuation. It, was, it wasn't a big jump. Right? It, was just a, it was just smooth and free, just right into, right into heaven because I allowed the Lord and I responded to his word and I allowed him to work holiness and righteousness into my life. And so if you want all of that, right, you have to enter the race. You have to be a child of God. You have to understand that you're a sinner and separated from God. You're an enemy of God. Right? But while you're an enemy, while you're an enemy, Christ died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his own son that whoever would believe on him would not perish, perish, we will have eternal life. You'll become a child of God. Problems won't end. Problems might even increase. And it might increase simply because He's got a lot of work to do to get you holy and to get you righteous. And he's going to start throwing the trials to you and he'll get you to walk through them. Guiding you and holding on to you and praying for you that you will not lose your faith, that you will stay with him. I remember Peter, Satan went, or Jesus went to Peter and said, Peter, Satan has asked you to sift you as wheat. I pray to the Father. That always bothered me. I said, Jesus prayed and he was sifted by Satan. What is up with that? And then I realized God's not taking Satan away. He's using him for his purpose and for his good and for his gain. 
what Jesus was saying, praying was, God, don't allow Peter to lose his faith. Hold on to him and have him hold on to me. And when he's done and he's been purified, then he can go feed my sheep. He'll be capable of feeding my sheep because he has walked through the trials and tribulations as necessary to get him to that point. Body Dynamic by Chuck Swindoll. I read that book one time. It's going through much difficulty. Chuck Swindoll said this. I've never seen a man or woman used greatly by God that has not first been wounded greatly by God. Right? God has to wound us or that ugly flesh and that ugly sin will raise his ugly head every single time. Every single time. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today, Lord, acknowledging, Lord, that we are responsible to respond to your word. We are required to run the race. Father, we don't do it alone. We cooperate with you. For if you began a good work in us, you will carry it through to completion. You work in us to will and to act in accordance with your good pleasure, and you do that through trials and suffering and difficulties. I can't comprehend what I preach tonight. I can't see what is beneficial in Isaiah the prophet's life when he hid in that tree and they sawed the tree with a wooden saw and cut Isaiah in two. I don't know how that produces holiness in Isaiah's life. But I know your word says that that's exactly the effect that it will have. And so, Lord, I pray and I ask, Father, that you would, that you would help us to really see that we are not suffering. We, we are not being disciplined the way that many of the saints of the Old and New Testament were disciplined. Father, we have not resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. Father, as Americans, I would say that we've had it pretty easy. And quite frankly, Lord, sometimes I have to ask myself, am I, am I a, a, a legitimate child of God because I've got it so easy? And so, Lord, I just pray and ask, Father, for your mercy and grace to be upon us, Lord. Those who don't know you, Lord, those who are illegitimate, Ill, illegitimate children, Father, I pray that you would legitimize them tonight. Make them children of God by your mercy and grace. And for those of, the, those of us who are your children, Lord, uh, Father, discipline us. Make us holy. Help us to pursue righteousness. Help us to walk together with one another, being concerned with each other's righteousness and holiness and purity. Father, make it, make it a, a, a smooth transition from earth to heaven because of the progress that we're making in the race that we run. Conform us into the likeness of Christ. As close as sinful flesh and sinful humanity can become like Christ this side of heaven, Father. Work that in us all. That we may be salt and light to the earth. It has its proper effect upon the unsaved world. Father, prepare us for any circumstances or situation that is coming about by your hand, whether it's chastisement or discipline, whatever it is, Lord, prepare us. Help us to find confidence that you are walking with us and through all difficulties so that we would be conformed into your image and likeness. Do Hebrews 12 in each one of our lives that we may be good runners of the faith, striving to be conformed into your 
image and likeness. Use your word, Father. Do not allow it to return void, but accomplish your purpose in our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.